Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello and welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Now today we'll be teaching from the book of Ephesians chapter 5. So let's get started. I'm reading from the New International Version as usual, and I'm reading verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul opens this chapter by reminding us of our uh, need or our responsibility to to follow the example of Christ. Jesus Christ is our example to follow. He, he to follow. He's our our pattern, our model, if you will, that we are to follow after. He loves us, and so we should love other people. He proved his love to us by sacrificing himself on the cross. So. We should be willing to make sacrifices for the needs of other people as the children of God. He forgave our sins, so we should be forgiving of other people. Jesus' sacrifice, Paul says, was a, a fragrant offering to God because it was the, the highest expression of love. He gave his life to save ours, and that pleases God. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. In Isaiah 53, 10, it says that, that the Father, God the Father was pleased to bruise the Son. And the thing that, uh, that was pleasing to God the Father uh, about the terrible sufferings of Jesus Christ was the fact that out of his suffering came our freedom, our freedom and our salvation and our adoption into the family of God were the result of Jesus' suffering on the cross. So it was the outcome of Jesus' suffering that pleased the Father, not the suffering itself. Now I'm reading verses 3 and 4. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse uh, joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So as Christians, there are certain things that we uh, have to be very determined not to engage in. Paul gives a list of these things that we should avoid as Christians in our lives. Number one, sexual immorality. Uh, sexual immorality is any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. Uh, sexual immorality actually defiles Christians. So, so uh, God created sex for for our certainly pleasure and 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 enjoyment and and uh, uh, for for the bonding of a relationship between a husband and a wife. So to use uh, 
the sexual experience outside of those bonds actually defiles the person and it binds you to the person that you are uh, having sex with. Now, when Paul mentions impurity here, he is mainly referring to sexual impurity or sexual sins, but it also encompasses all kinds of corrupt behavior. Paul also condemns greed or the lust for money and the desire to have or to possess what someone else has. Um, greedy people can't be happy for other people when they are blessed, when they, when they obtain or accomplish something. Uh, the greedy person feels like it should be theirs. It should have happened to them. Um, they become green with envy. Uh, or they lust after more, after more money, uh, more material goods or, or whatever. Now, um, Paul also mentions obscenity. Obscenity is vile and indecent, filthy uh, conduct or activities or conversation. So Paul mentions the fact that we should clean up our act. If we turn to Christ and we become Christians, then our lives should change for the better. Then Paul mentions foolish talk or coarse joking as being inappropriate. That is impure sexual humor. Uh, I'm not the kind of Christian who, who goes around condemning everything and, and making everything into a sin. Uh, I'm not what you would call a killjoy. I love to laugh and I love to have fun. But when the Bible clearly uh, condemns something or tells me that something is wrong. If I do it anyway, um, I feel condemned. Um, I, I'm very uncomfortable with that. And so I can't live in a place to where I know that I'm displeasing God or I'm violating the teachings of Christ. So excuse me if I uh, choose to obey God rather than to gratify my own flesh. Uh, as Christians, God is calling us to a higher life and a higher lifestyle. Now, I'm uncomfortable with um, obscene humor and profane and coarse jokes. Uh, just because the Bible tells me not to engage in such things. And so um, when I find myself in those settings, I become uncomfortable because I know the word of God. And when we know the word of God, then we are responsible uh, to order our lives accordingly. Now, Paul said these things are not fitting for saints or Christian. A Christian is a saint. A saint is a Christian. If you are a Christian, you are a saint of God, okay? Um, and if you're a saint, you're a Christian. So the Bible says that this kind of behavior is not fitting for us as Christians. Now I'm reading verses five through seven. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, that no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So God is commanding us through Paul, and certainly Paul is writing these epistles, this letter, uh, Ephesians and the other letters that he wrote by the inspiration and unction of the Holy Spirit. This is a stern and sober warning that Paul is giving here uh, to people who engage in this kind of ungodly behavior. Paul said people who practice this kind of immoral lifestyle have no inheritance 
in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Uh, why does he say that? Um, because when we become Christians, our, our, we should clean up our act. God gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to change. And so we shouldn't continue on in the way that we used to. In fact, uh, I believe it's in Romans where Paul asked the, the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he says, God forbid, how, how can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So when we become a Christian, there are certain things that we turn away from. We can't continue in the old lifestyle. Uh, we have to move into uh, the lifestyle uh, of adopted children of God. We have to begin to be imitators of God and of Christ. Now, Paul reiterates his warning because he knew that there would be some who would try to rationalize and minimize the seriousness of living this kind of lifestyle. He knew that there were going to be some people uh, who would excuse it. And so Paul mentions it again. Uh, now, Christians may fall in to some of these uh, things, some of these sins, but a true Christian can't just live this way. Um, it's like falling into a hog wallow. If you fall into a mud hole with a bunch of nasty hogs, uh, then you won't just relax there. You feel filthy because you are filthy and, and you want to get out of that and you won't rest until you get somewhere and get out of those filthy clothes and get a bath and clean yourself up. You want to get out, you want to get cleaned up as soon as possible. You don't wallow in that stuff and live in it uh, if you are a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're uncomfortable living a certain way. Now, if a person can claim to be a Christian and have, have uh, uh, no condemnation and no conviction over, over uh, living ungod an ungodly life, then that person should really uh, take a self-examination and, and see if you're really in the faith. You have to really search yourself. And I don't want to, to bring uh, condemnation upon someone who is a Christian who is, who is struggling with sin in their lives maybe weak, um, uh, but I'm saying that that uh, we should not get comfortable in sin. Uh, as Christians, God is calling us to a different kind of a lifestyle, and so he wants us to use the power of the Holy Spirit to uh, suppress those things, to empty those things out of our lives, to uh, to get rid of those things, and, and certainly it's a process. Some things come off right away. There are some things that you have to struggle with. But as long as you're uh, fighting against sin in your own life, then you know that God is working in you. If you're uncomfortable in that thing, you're moving to do something about it, you're confessing it, you're going before God, you're studying the scripture, you're praying, uh, then you're moving in the right direction. You can be sure that God is working in your heart uh, to transform you. So Paul's warning is to those people who, who are just continuing in that lifestyle. They haven't actually turned to Christ and turned away from their sin. Now, in verse 5, Paul lambasts greed, and he equates it with idolatry. Why does Paul call greed idolatry? Well, because greedy people place money in the place of God. They place a value upon money um, that exceeds the value that they place upon uh, serving God and obeying him. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. 
He said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and mammon is money. That's the King James, Matthew 6, 24. Mammon is money. And so Jesus is saying that you have you can't have divided loyalties. One is going to take precedence over the other. One is going to take priority over the other, either money or God. And, and if money is in a place above God, then, then uh, you're idolizing money and worshiping money. People trust money like a God because money grants power. It grants influence. Um, it grants respect. And it can, it can get almost any material thing. Greedy people, whether they are rich or poor, because you can be poor and still be greedy. It's not just rich people who are greedy. Uh, but greedy people value money above God and people. And so they make uh, an idol out of money. Now, verses 8 and uh, through 10. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all God, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Okay, so Paul is giving us the fruit of what the fruit of righteousness is here, and he's telling us um, that we know that we're righteous. If we're doing these certain things, if we're if we're living a certain way, we know that the righteousness of God is working in us. Now, we all have a past life. We all did things that we're now ashamed of. We've all done things in the past that we wish we could go back and change or we wish we hadn't done. We've all lived that kind of a life. Paul says we were once in darkness. We all were. None of us were born Christians. That's why we had to be born again. So at one time, every Christian practiced sin. So uh, God doesn't hold that against us if we turn away from that and we turn to him for help and strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. We were children of darkness before Christ came into our lives. Uh, we lived sinful and ungodly lives. But after we became Christians, our lives changed. As Christians, we are commanded to turn from that old lifestyle and begin to live a godly lifestyle. Paul says that the fruit of light, light and righteousness, uh, the fruit of light is goodness and righteousness and truth. Okay, So this is what the light of Christ produces in us, it produces goodness, it produces righteousness, and it produces truth. Paul also commanded Christians to find out what pleases God. This means that we should go on to get to know God better and better and become familiar with what it takes to please him, how to live our lives in such a way that it's pleasing to him. The church is God's schoolhouse, and the Bible is our primary textbook, the, our main textbook. God said, 
I will give you pastors after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's written in Jeremiah 3, 15. I will give you pastors after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So in order to take advantage of that, these pastors who teach, and most pastors are preachers and teachers, they teach us the word of God. Um, if we commit ourselves to study God's word every day, faithfully attend church, that is be faithful to church, uh, be faithful to the, to the Sunday service and be faithful to the, the Bible study, the Wednesday night service as well, or whatever services your, uh, your church has, be faithful to attend that and take advantage of the teaching um, that comes from the pulpit that, that the, the leaders that God has placed there dispense out every week. So if we're faithful to study the word of God on our own and we're faithful to attend church, then we're going to get to know God better and better. And we're going to find out what pleases the Lord and what displeases him. And we'll be able to, to walk in the way that God wants us to walk. Now I'm reading verses 11 through 14. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, Paul admonishes us here to separate ourselves from the deeds and acts of darkness and not even to talk about the shameful things that they do. That is the wicked things that people do. Uh, we're not even to, to dis discuss that, to talk about it um, because God has placed us in a different kind of a situation. Now, that's not to say that we can't mingle with people who are unbelievers. Of course we can. In fact, uh, we are the salt of the, of, the, of the world. We're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So salt has to make contact with what it is trying to savor. So we have to be among the, the uh, people of the world, un, uh, unbelievers and, and ungodly people, but we can't engage. Paul is saying don't engage in what they do. Don't do what they do. Okay, we have to be around them to allow our light to shine on them. But we're not to be involved and engaged in the things that we see people doing. Rather than engaging in sinful behavior, Paul said we should expose them. Now, we don't expose unbelievers by condemning them. Um, I used to work at a factory, actually, at... Uh, Navistar. It, uh, it was when I first started, it was International Harvester. Later, they changed the name to Navistar. And there was one brother, well-meaning brother, who uh, who went around condemning sinners for sinning. And uh, he would come up in the locker room and people would be playing cards, perhaps. Maybe they have a little money on the table. Uh, and he began to tell them, you all shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong and blah, blah, blah. So he went around condemning sinners for sinning. God didn't call us to go around condemning sinners for, sinner, for sinning. Uh, sinners sin, that's what they do. Uh, but what God called us to do is with kindness and gentleness, let our light shine. Jesus said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
That's what the Bible said. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Now, uh, so we don't go around condemning uh, the people of the world, but what we do is we let the light of Christ shine out of us. No, we expose them. We expose unbelievers to the light by living a righteous and godly life in their presence. We don't look down our noses at them, or we don't act as if we're holier than they are. We just act as what we are. We let the, the light of Christ and the, uh, the, the grace of Christ shine through our lives. Instead of getting drunk, we're sober. Instead of being a whoremonger, uh, be chaste um, and be pure. Uh, instead of lying and cheating and stealing, be honest and be a person of integrity right in their presence. Instead of being mean and and vindictive and gossipy and abrasive and harsh, then we should be kind and, and gentle and forgiving and understanding uh, of people. We expose darkness with light. Just live the Christian life everywhere you go, and you will automatically expose the works of darkness and draw someone to Christ. Now, in verse 13, Paul says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Okay? So righteousness shows up wickedness because there is such a deep contrast. And certainly some people will strike out at you because uh, you've chosen to live a godly lifestyle. And they become offended by that because your life is such a contrast to theirs. Now, you're not just trying to rub their faces in it. You just be what you are and be the, be the person that God called you to be and let the love of Christ and the, and the patience and the forgiveness of Christ and the kindness of Christ shine out of you. Now, yes, some people will be offended by that. They'll be offended because you don't, you don't curse and you don't get drunk and you don't fight and fuss and you don't do the things that you used to do. They'll, they'll think that you're trying to be goody two-shoes. And you're just trying to you're just trying to do what God called you to do, and they will become offended by that. But that's okay. But but you don't want to exacerbate the offense um, by rubbing things in people's faces. Just be what you are and be patient. Be what Christ is making you, and live up to the Christian calling that that God has called you to. Now, people become aware of their condition when they see our light. And sometimes when you turn a light on, it uh, um, it makes people uncomfortable. If you're sleeping in a dark room and certainly someone comes on and switches on the light, certainly you, you want to get your head under the cover. You want to retreat back to the darkness because it hurts your eyes. Um, that's what happens when we turn the light on uh, and we just live and let our light shine before people uh, like God told us to do. They become uncomfortable sometimes, and sometimes they lash out. But you just be patient, be kind, uh, imitate Christ, his patience and his kindness, and let him work on their hearts. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 16. So your good work could be your good conduct could be your good deeds, but it could be your godly conduct as well. Now, those in darkness 
are in a sense asleep or the Bible refers to them as sleep or dead in trespasses and sins. That is, they are fully unaware of the ways of God. But when the light of the knowledge of Christ comes, those who are asleep awaken and the light of Christ comes into their lives as well. And they begin to shine new life on others. Okay. So that's why Paul says, um, awake thou that sleep, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Okay. So, so when the light of Christ comes into a person who is an unbeliever, they grasp onto that and they grasp onto that because not all of them do. Uh, some of them resist it to the end, but those who uh, grasp onto that light or allow that light into themselves, then they begin to change themselves and then they become light. Now I'm reading verses 15 through 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If you claim to be a Christian, um, be careful to live like Christ. If you claim to be a Christian, then be careful to live like a Christian. Jesus, again, is our role model. He's our model that we are to follow. He's our pattern. Now, Paul says here, don't live as unwise people, but live as wise people. Now, to be wise is to live a righteous and godly lifestyle and to follow the teachings of Christ and the apostles. Speaking of wisdom, the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter eight. It says, I, and this is, uh, Solomon was speaking of wisdom as if wisdom were, uh, was an individual, was a lady. Um, and he says of wisdom, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. That's what wisdom does. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. That's Proverbs 8 and 20. And, and uh, Solomon gave a lot of these personifications of, of wisdom. He spoke of wisdom as if it was a, a lady reaching out and, and, and wanting to give, uh, give herself to, to those who would seek after her, um, that it would be a per, uh, uh, as if it was a person who, who would come in and teach us how we are to live. And wisdom always talked about being godly, um, hating arrogance and evil and wickedness, uh, and loving God. So if you read Proverbs, you'll see all of these personifications of wisdom, how, how wisdom is good and righteous, and, uh, and it, it has to do with the knowledge of God. Now I'm reading verses 17 through 20. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, understanding how God wants us to live is a safeguard against living a foolish people's lives. Listen to what Proverbs 19 and 3 says. 
people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. That's Proverbs 19 and 3 in the New Living Translation. And I've seen that. I've seen people who live reckless lives, foolish lives, uh, take all kinds of risk and do all kinds of of, uh, ungodly things. And then when the chicken come home to roost, they want to blame God for their miserable situation. Uh, No, it's not God's fault after you uh, after you've smoked for 40 years, if you'll get cancer, you can't blame God for that. Um, it's not God's fault if, if, if after you've been a womanizer or, or a, a woman of the, of the street and, and uh, you ruin your relationships, and you ruin your family life, or if you've just not been faithful and, and, and uh, working, you haven't worked and you wouldn't hold a job all your life and then you get old and then you don't have anything to show for it. Uh, you can't blame God for those decisions. So um, knowing God and walking in the teachings of Christ puts us on the path to wisdom so that we are able to make right decisions throughout our lives. And the earlier you get to know God in your life and walk in the ways of the Lord, uh, the more God's going to bless your life and down through the years. And you will accumulate things over the years just by virtue of of not living a foolish and reckless life. God wants Christians to live sober lives rather than getting drunk on alcohol or other substances that lead to debauchery and ruins people's lives. Paul said we should be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, we should make a habit of filling our hearts and minds with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and, and speaking these uplifting words to each other. We should sing gospel songs and cultivate the, the joy of the Lord that comes from worshiping God and giving thanks to him in everything and for everything. Now, I want to tell you something. I'll let you in on some of my past life. Uh, I used to be an alcoholic. And before I came to know Christ, I couldn't imagine enjoying life without being high or off something, uh, uh, alcohol or something. Um, back in those days, it was more uh, liquor than it was drugs. But um, I was stuck on that, and it was ruining my life. And uh, um, I couldn't imagine being able to enjoy life without getting high. And then Christ came into my life. I got saved you know, back when I was a young man. I got saved and I found out that there is so much joy in serving God and following him that I don't need any kind of substance. Um, I don't need the wine. I don't need the alcohol. I don't, I don't need the, the marijuana. None of the stuff that people feel they have to have. If you taste and see that the Lord is good and you really begin to worship him and study his word and, and get after him with all your heart, seek, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And when I threw myself into the Lord, uh, I had, I've had, had more joy than I've ever had. Uh, the Lord blessed me with a good marriage. I've been married 40 something years at the time of this, uh, of this recording here, I've been married uh, 46 years. So to the same woman, 
and uh, I raised a family, my children, and now I have grandchildren, and and uh, I've been to all fifty, well, forty-eight of the uh, states in the United States. I never imagined that I would travel so far and and so wide. I've been to other countries, and I've done things that I would not have imagined that I would have been able to do, and I would not have been able to do those things if I hadn't placed myself in the Lord, if the Lord hadn't come along and and transformed my life. He changed me. And I will say to you, if you are a Christian, and maybe you just kind of been playing along with it and not really getting serious about it, um, I want to challenge you. You get serious with serving God. You make God priority in your life. You discipline yourself to pray and read the Bible and go to church and really discipline yourself to live like God said live and stop just playing around, playing games. And, and see, won't the joy of the Lord begin to come into your life? The peace of God will begin to come into your life. And God will begin to, to build something in your life. He'll give you visions and dreams. And, and, and I don't mean open visions. I mean, he'll give you uh, ideas and he'll put things in your heart that you want to pursue. He will reveal to you your purpose and he'll, he'll, he'll give you a passion for life. So uh, if we get in God, turn away from all of the other stuff, then God will begin to bless us. So again, in verse 19, Paul warned that drunkenness leads to debauchery. Um, debauchery is sexual immorality, indecency, wickedness, corruption, and, and excess, among other things. These are things that ruin people's lives. Now I'm going to read verse 21 through 24. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, if the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, in these verses, Paul teaches that Christians should submit to the authority that God gives. Now, when we do this, it's a demonstration of our submission to Christ, submitting to the authority that God established, that God gave to people, is submission to Christ. And rebellion against that authority is rebellion against Christ. In verse 22, Paul commands wives to submit to the authority that God placed in their husbands, just as they submit to Christ. So as they submit to Christ, they should, uh, a woman should, a wife should submit to her husband. I, now I said a wife. I didn't say a partner. I said a wife. Um, the Bible says that the wives should submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. Now you can't say that you're submitted to Christ, that you're submitting yourself to Christ and rebel against your husband's authority. Um, that just won't fly. And the scripture is plain there. It says, as you submit to Christ, submit to your own husband. Now, uh, and, and then, it, then that verse reads, and perhaps I should read that verse again, uh, submit, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? That first verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So uh, think of it, ladies, as uh, showing reverence to Christ when you submit to the authority 
uh, of your husband. Now, Paul goes on to say in verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, he said submit at least four times in these few verses. Um, and I think that Paul said that for a reason, because he understood that there is a propensity in in us, men and women, to not want to submit to authority, um, especially if we have disagreements with that. Now, what if a a Christian woman has a husband who is not a Christian and makes demands that contradict the commands of God? Well, there's a verse in the book of Colossians that addresses that uh, that question. It says in Colossians 3.18, and I'm reading in the New International Version, it says, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, okay? Submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's Colossians again, Colossians 3.18. Now, wives are commanded to submit to their husbands as long as the husband is not making, um, uh, is not demanding something that is not fitting in the Lord. Wives are not to do anything that is ungodly and sinful because uh, this their first submission is to Christ. As Christians, our first allegiance, our first submission is to Christ and then to other authorities. Uh, then for a woman, it is her husband next. But now Peter gives wives who have unbelieving husbands some words of wisdom and advice on how to win their unbelieving husbands to Christ. Uh, he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and I'm reading, In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without words. They will be won over by observing your pure, and reverent lives, okay? Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So Peter counsels wives of unbelieving husbands to let their Christian light shine in their own homes. And without preaching to the husbands, they can win them over to Christ. It's going to be hard, ladies, for you to win your husband if you're in re rebellion against his authority. Uh, no, he is not Christ, and he may not be very Christ-like, but um, uh, that doesn't excuse us from submitting to his authority. Now, uh, I'm not talking about abusive relationships where man is beating you down and all of that stuff. You, you need to get some help in that situation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when a man may, he's your husband, uh, and he is um, not demanding anything that is contradictory to scripture, um, then you need to learn how to submit to him and you need to learn how to, um, uh, to win him over by, your, uh, by letting your light shine in your own home. Now, verses 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, 
without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. So every Christian husband is commanded to love his wife just as Christ loved the church. Okay? Now, um, when a man loves his wife like that, it won't be hard for her to submit to him. If we love our wives um, like Christ loved the church, then it won't be hard for the wife to submit to the husband. And, and a, a wife will usually respond to kindness. I know that there are exceptions, but uh, in general, uh, a, a wife will usually respond to love and kindness. If she knows you love her, and you've shown that. Uh, now, Christ loved the church so much that he sacrificed his own life in order to rescue her, to give her life and cleansing. Okay, that's what Christ did. Now, Christian husbands are commanded to love their wives as their own bodies, to, and to love, uh, love their wives sacrificially, to make sacrifices for her, and to demonstrate that we love, we love them not just with our words, but with our deeds, with our actions. Um, Christian husbands are uh, commanded to love our wives as we love our own bodies. So we're not to uh, do something for ourselves that we wouldn't do for our wives. Uh, Christ uh, loves the church and he nourishes the church and he cherishes the church and he cares for the church. And, and so the, the church is a model for marriage. He who loves his wife, that is the, the relationship between Christ and the church, is a model for marriage. He who loves his wife loves himself. Because a husband and a wife are really one body. Men who love their wives understand the oneness between them. They understand the oneness of the relationship, that they are no longer two, but they're one flesh. And Paul reminds all Christians that we are members of Christ's body. We are all one in Christ. And again, the relationship between the church and Christ is a model for uh, the uh, relationship between a husband and his wife. Um, Christ, the way he sacrificed for the church and the way that he cleansed the church and made it holy and saved and rescued the church, uh, that's a model for us as husbands um, to love our wives and to sacrifice for them. And as the church is submitted to Christ, it's a model for how wives should submit to their husbands. Now, verses 31 through 33, and we'll finish this chapter. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his, to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. God ordained marriage between one man and one woman. A man leaves the comfort and care of his mother 
and father. Um, and when the marriage is consummated through the sexual union, he becomes joined to his wife. And from that day forward, they become one flesh. The husband and wife are to comfort and to care for each other, uh, care for each other's needs until death separates them. Now, let me tell you something. I've been married a long time. God designed marriage not to, uh, not to be a burden, but to be a comfort and an assist through life. Uh, my wife brings me joy and comfort. When I've been away from home all day, um, I look forward to coming home and relaxing with my wife. Um, and I, to the best of my ability, I bring comfort, comfort and, and joy and pleasure to her as well. And so we, after all these years, uh, we compliment each other. Uh, we understand that we need each other. We lean on each other for strength, for encouragement. And our marriage helps us both down the road of life through the hardships. You, you, you need somebody to be with you, to, to comfort you when you're hurting, to encourage you when you're discouraged, to stand with you, uh, you know, when you have challenges that you're facing. So God create marriage to be an assist through life, not to be a burden. If your marriage is a burden, then you need to find the comfort in it. You need to work together, husband and wife, and look for what God intended for it to be. You need to go to the, to the, uh, to the manual, the Bible, and, and find out what you're doing wrong and correct it so that your marriage will assist you instead of burdening you. Now, um, the husband and wife are to comfort and care for each other's needs until death separates them. Now, in verse 32, Paul interjects the ultimate marriage, that the ultimate, ultimate marriage union is between Christ and his church. The church is the bride of Christ. We are joined to Christ forever and forever. In verse 33, Paul closes this chapter by reiterating the roles and the responsibilities of husbands and wives. The husband's job is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and he has to love his wife as he loves himself. Uh, don't do something for yourself, husband, that you wouldn't do for your wife. The wife's job is to respect her husband, and the wife's respect for her husband encompasses uh, submission to him and, and, and uh, honor uh, of him. Now, this is something married couples have to be determined to live up to, um, and you have to pray and pursue fulfilling this uh, these roles that God has given to you, because when we do, we are submitting ourselves to the will of Christ. Well, that brings us to the close of Ephesians chapter 5. I hope that you were blessed by our study today. Next time, we will study Ephesians chapter 6. And until next time, may God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. 
for a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast.